Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. You know, we now have a just historical milestone in our fight for our Second Amendment rights. And what I'm talking about is the signing of constitutional carry by Governor Kemp in Georgia. This is really an important moment in time in terms of our fight for our rights. It's a time really for a moment we can actually be a little proud and happy as to where we are. Because Georgia now is the 25th state, in other words, half of America, in terms of numbers of states, now has constitutional carry. Think of how significant that is. It's amazing. That means that half of the United States requires no license or permit or permission slip or piece of paper from the government so that a person can carry a loaded handgun concealed on their person for self-defense. That is an amazing advance of liberty and freedom. And one of the things that has always struck me about carry is that it is absolutely fundamental, critical, and really in the modern day, the most important aspect of our right to keep and bear arms, our Second Amendment rights. Look, I am I love everything about firearms, whether you enjoy target shooting, hunting, collecting, whatever it is that turns you on about guns, that's great. But critical to it all, the most important element is carry because it is directly related to self-defense. And what constitutional carry is, is an expression of states saying, you, the law-abiding citizen, you can defend yourself with the most effective means there is, and that being a firearm. And you can do so without needing a permit or license, but simply because it is our natural and fundamental and constitutional right to be able to defend ourselves with a gun. And you know, there are places, plenty throughout the world, that don't even allow self-defense, no less self-defense with a gun, no less allowed to carry a gun to defend ourselves. That is quite a special right. And when you look back and you say, wow, how did we get here? It is really astounding, I believe, to me, to me personally even. 
because I want to tell you about something you may not know about me. You see, I wrote my very first book, and my very first book was called Handgun Self-Defense, a digest of today's handgunning literature. Actually, today's a digest of the best of today's handgunning literature, plus concealed weapons, how to get your permit. Now, this book is really uh, kind of hard to get. I think it, you might be able to find one or maybe if you look hard enough on eBay or Amazon. But this book, of which I'm very proud of, I actually wrote it during college. And it was published in 1983. And what happened was in college I had two uh, seminar courses that I had to take writing courses where they were courses that required a written project. Because in college I created my own major. I I went and got it all approved. So I graduated with my uh, degree in business and political science as one major. And there were two courses that in order to structure this major. So each of those I wrote about two different aspects of concealed carry licensing. For the political science, I looked at the legal political issues. And on the business side, I looked at the management of permit systems and such. And when I finished, I combined the two paper, papers together. And I was really fortunate and I was able to get it published. And I'll tell you how that happened. It was uh, actually published by American Handgunner Magazine. Jerry Rakusan was the editor at the time and I sent him my manuscript and they actually uh, paid me. I mean, I was like, wow, actually getting paid, paid for my uh, manuscript and put it into this book, this little uh, paperback book on concealed weapons, how to get your permit. And the first part of the book is a digest of excerpts from about half a dozen books by the finest gun writers of the day. And then the entire second half was what I wrote about carry licensing. So the first half of the book has, for example, Principles of Personal Defense by you know, one of my heroes, Jeff Cooper. And that's a great uh, article in and of itself. They're timeless principles. No Second Place Winner. Again, Bill Jordan. Just always read all Bill Jordan stuff, right? And Shoot a Handgun, Dave Arnold. And in the gravest extreme, you know, Masada Yub, The Combat 45 by Bill Wilson and Michael Bain, Truth About Self-Protection, Masada Yub, and Life Without Fear by Mike Dalton and Mickey Fowler. And here, all of the second part is my part that I wrote, and I'm with the greats. I mean, I, my, my, what I just wrote in college, you know, I, I'm in this book with all the great writers that I've just so admired and loved. So I was really happy about it. But what was really interesting is this book was 
sold by American Handgunner, but also given away if you got a subscription to American Handgunner. So thousands and thousands of copies of it had been sent out, and that was in 1983. And what... I was thinking about here that I thought really you know, kind of hit me now, not so much at the time, but it wasn't until 1987. That's when the modern concealed carry movement outside the home, that's when that started. It was 1987 when the shall issue license law was passed in Florida. And that was the big one. That was the milestone of getting shall issue carry. And I'm thinking, boy, my book came out three, four years before the modern carry movement. And I had looked at all and studied all that. And I, I think maybe only to myself, but I kind of feel that I had some role. At least I was in the ether for helping to get this out there with people thinking about it. I mean, I mean, think of how many uh, Guns Magazine and that book went out and uh, discussing and studying the systems. And so I really feel, you know, that was, I was one of the folks involved. There were so many, of course, that, but I really feel like almost like a pioneer. And I look back thinking my first book on concealed weapons, that's what it was about, how to get your permit. And in 87, Florida, and then the movement for carry, and as the movement for carry grows and grows to the point where there's only eight states, eight, that don't have a shall issue permit at least and now today we can say there's 25 states that don't require any permit at all wow that is just incredible and at the time you know when i wrote this book i talked about you know vermont which was like one of the only states where you could carry concealed at the time and loaded without a, a permit and to think how far we've come and in between while we're pushing shall issue carry we were pushing right to get national reciprocity so that all these carry licenses would be recognized by every other state and we came close to getting that passed but it hasn't passed but now, with national uh, constitutional carry at half the states, it's actually making moot, or virtually moot, and eliminating the need for even needing national reciprocity, because soon you'll be able to carry everywhere in the United States, at least more and more and more, without any license whatsoever. So, you know... If there is going to be a law today, instead of pushing national reciprocity, I'd like to see national constitutional carry. How about a federal law that says something like, uh, no state shall require a permit, license, 
or other government permission to carry a handgun for lawful self-defense. Wouldn't that be great? And you know, whether we'd ever see a federal law that would do that, I don't know. But we're getting to that point, and we're halfway there to that without a federal law even saying it. So it is really an amazing time. And to see liberty grow and blossom, it's just fantastic. Now, of course, folks that live in some of those eight, some of those eight states where there's a uh, lack of respect for the Second Amendment, and particularly we're talking about New Jersey and other states. <clears throat> well, we have a, a Supreme Court case coming up, and we should have the decision by June in that Bruin case, New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin. And what is that case looking at? The constitutionality of the need requirement, right? having to show that basis. The very thing that I wrote about in my book, 1983, as the key problem, the way that they, the government stops us. And that is what is now up for a decision, and I'm confident we're going to win. It's just a question by how much. But think about now how much politically even better, not that the court necessarily consider these things, but here they are, they're rendering a decision on this, and they, they, they've got to know that 25 states, half of the country, doesn't even require any permit now. And the court's just looking to see whether these uh, few states can arbitrarily deny our right to carry a handgun based with this horrible uh, need requirement. Come on. And, you know, this is really the problem. I mean, back back when I wrote my book, I was looking through it. Here's a foreword. I think you'll get a kick out of it. I wrote, here's a quote. Only three types of people can get a permit to carry a concealed weapon. Judges, politicians, and the mafia. And you see, that's a quote from a Jersey public defender that I uh, talked to regarding this. The public defender was defending on gun cases even back then and uh this is how they do it and i you know it's been a known thing how they stop individuals using the need game the need trap that's just what it says for example even back then i wrote uh, most states with concealed weapon permit systems require that a need must be proved. And this is how it was, and that's been really pounded, and that's what's been taken away. I wrote, defeating this need trap is often difficult. And unfortunately, there are no cut and dry definitions of need. It's often vague and a relative word. This is back in 83. So I'm looking at that going, wow, we've really come a long way. And it's uh, kind of was kind of fun to reread this and think at this point that we have finally met this this landmark of half of the states requiring 
no permit. Just great progress and something to be happy about. When we come back, I have some interesting letters from listeners. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. I do like very much the letters that I, I get from listeners. and I... Uh, got a couple here that are pretty interesting uh this one is now normally i try not to read people's names for privacy purposes but i'm going to read this person's name because uh the person who sent this his first name is lesko l-e-s-k-o and his uh, last name is Brandon. So his name is Lesko Brandon. And uh, I, I, I like his name. And so I'm happy to say Lesko Brandon and to respond to Lesko's question. And what Lesko Brandon says is Hi, Evan. I just listened to your podcast, as I always do, which included a segment about updating an address change for the firearms ID card covered a move within the state, but I moved to and became a resident of PA about two years ago, and I enjoying the freedom of concealed carry. I checked the New Jersey State Police website, which does not appear to have any specific information on how to submit an address change. Online forums suggest essentially a new application must be filed, but I don't believe I'd qualify as an out-of-state resident. Since my wife is a teacher, she still maintains her New Jersey residency and stays at the house there during the work week. And I still have a few firearms there. Can I legally transport them to Pennsylvania now? Do I need to turn in my old NJ ID? My wife still has a valid firearms ID card, so she's now the only one that can legally transport them. Thanks for taking your time to do your weekly podcast. It's truly a patriotic service to America. Let's go, Brandon. All right. Well, let me uh, deal with these questions because they're good ones, and it does affect 
New Jerseyans and former expats from New Jersey, and they need to know this. Number one, your firearms ID card is something you have to keep updated. And if you move, even out of state, within 30 days of moving, you are supposed to put in for that change of address. Now, you can absolutely have a change of address card for your firearm purchaser ID card for an out-of-state address. And those applications are made to the state police. Now, I suggest going to the closest state police barracks and talk to them about submitting it in. But non-resident firearm ID cards are specifically permitted, and you can file to get one, and you need to put in a change of address and simply put the change of address as your new residency, which would be in the other state. Uh, normally, if you move within New Jersey, the towns that have their own police force and their own issuing authority, you'd go to them and do your change of address. But once you leave New Jersey, those towns outside the jurisdiction of New Jersey, then you're going to have to go through the state police to put in your change of address to your new residence outside of the state of New Jersey. And if you do not put in a change of address, then what you need to do is surrender your firearms ID card back to the original issuing authority. Uh, it's no point in keeping it because it's invalid. It doesn't match your driver's license anyway, and you're no longer a resident. It's wrong information, and you've uh, not properly changed it pursuant to the statute. So why keep it? But if you're going to change it, then do so and do it accordingly so that you will have a valid New Jersey Farm Purchaser ID card. Now, the New Jersey State Police website, I can't help what they do or don't have on their website, but you may want to just personally go to the nearest barracks and put in for the change or address or talk to someone there how they want to, how they want to handle it. Now, the online forums that suggest, quote, a new application um, is basically correct because the application form will say at the top, you mark it, that it's for a change of address. And it is the same rigmarole you went through to get the card originally or to get a new card today. You have to go through it all to get even a change of address. And the same applies to changing your name, changing your sex, and if you've lost the card, uh, all those things require you, you have a duty under the law within 30 days to get those changes documented. And so that's what you want to do. Now, the fact that his wife still lives in New Jersey, well, that's fine. And, and in fact, uh, the individual, if, if, this, if Lesko happens to reside in New Jersey as well or owns that property with the wife, then he can store his guns still at the house. Uh, that's fine. Uh, there's exemption, and he's possessing by way of exemption. It's not possessing by way of the firearms ID card or not. But the firearms ID card will be of great advantage for him in transporting the firearms because that 
uh, right on the face of the statute, gives you the ability to transport, so you don't have to solely rely upon exemptions. And it lets you, uh, would let Lesko buy a long arm in New Jersey as long as the dealer obeyed the law of Pennsylvania and the law of New Jersey. And he could actually make acquisitions under New Jersey law and under federal law. So having the firearm ID card would have these uh, important advantages, and it's worth uh, considering that instead of just giving it up. But uh, one way or another, action should be taken and not just uh, ignored. Uh, and I know he's not ignoring. Uh, he just wants to know what to do, which is why let's go wrote the email. But now you know what to do. So take action and either get that change of address in and or uh, give up the card. Um, meanwhile, uh, your your wife is uh, lawful uh, in her house, and uh, she's uh, uh, there with her card. And the key is to have driver's license uh, always match your firearms ID card. So that's kind of the whole picture on New Jersey's Farm ID card situation. Okay, now I received another letter. This one's from Jim regarding NJ legal question. Number one, Jim says, since a grenade launcher is NG, I assume he means no good in New Jersey, grenade launchers are 22 millimeter in diameter. Many flash suppressors and dummy Muzzle devices are 22 millimeter. Does that make my AR with a 22 millimeter device illegal? Okay. Well, first of all, grenade launchers themselves are not illegal. You can possess a grenade launcher in New Jersey. It depends on the configuration of the grenade launcher. And if you mean a grenade launcher that's on the muzzle of a firearm, well, in and of itself, the grenade launcher is not prohibited. What is prohibited would be the grenades that it might launch, but not the launcher. Now, the grenade launcher becomes a factor if one is evaluating a semi-automatic rifle that uses a detachable magazine and looking at the offending features, for which you cannot have more than one. And one of the offending features for what makes something an assault firearm is whether or not it has a grenade launcher. But a grenade launcher in and of itself is not a problem, and a grenade launcher that is on a bolt-action rifle, for example, not a problem. But if you uh, have grenades, explosives, sure, that's a problem both federally and state. But the launcher itself, you know, unless it's configured in some other way, uh, but normally that's not by itself a problem. Now, the fact that grenade launchers are, quote, 22 millimeter, well, I didn't know there was some world law on grenade launcher size, but maybe many of them are, but it really doesn't matter because suppressor and, mu and, and, and muzzle devices and all, all these things are dependent upon what they actually are. So, again, it's not a a prohibition on having a flash suppressor. There's, you, you're allowed to possess it. You're not prohibited from that. Uh, the problem is if it's on a semi-auto 
and you're looking at offending features, then that can become an offending feature itself. So muzzle devices that aren't offending features, there are many folks in Jersey that will have, for example, a muzzle brake on their semi-automatic firearm and not a flash suppressor because a muzzle brake is not an offending feature where a flash suppressor would be. So how do we know that that's a muzzle brake and not a flash suppressor? Or that it's not a silencer even, which would be prohibited? Or how come it's not a grenade launcher? So can figure, how do we know these things? Well, that becomes an important question. And this is why I tell folks, if you have a muzzle device, get the documentation from the factory if you have a muzzle brake, get the brand, get the model, get the make, and get the factory documentation or whatever packaging it came with that says this is a muzzle brake. Because I have had cases where individuals get charged because the state, they're a bunch of dummies, the state. You know, gun owners know so much more technical than the state knows. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen things wrongly charged by the state, even by their so-called experts. And the problem is an expert looking at a muzzle device, if he's not so much of an expert that he thinks he's an expert, they'll say, oh, that's a flash suppressor. No, it's a muzzle brake. Well, how do we prove it or show it? And what it takes is the best slam dunk way to prove it is if I have the ability to give the factory documentation to the prosecutor say look this is what it is this is how it was purchased this is what it was designed for it's a muzzle break when we don't have those kind of things then we can get into battles fact battles what is this how is it made what does it mean i mean you know out there there's a whole variety of things i mean look on fnfals we have the combination device oh that's great flash suppressor and Muzzle brake. I mean, these are the things that just uh, create a lot of mess. So be extra careful. Keep your documentation, especially if you had a Jersey gun store. Let's say make your gun compliant. Get the receipt that says you know the gun is compliant. Muzzle brake installed. You know, make and model. You know, etc. Lay it out so that. If push ever comes to shove, you have the documentation. It's critical to be able to demonstrate that. The second question is, um, didn't the New Jersey State Police make a determination that since vehicles like SUVs don't have a separate trunk, you have to have a locked gun case? Is that enforceable? And in fact, you do not need to have a locked gun case. The subsection G of 2C NJS 2C 396G, that's how you transport, it specifically says closed and fastened case, not locked, closed and fastened. So for transport in New Jersey, you don't need it locked. But if you're going to transport outside the state of New Jersey, across state lines, Ah, now you're trying to invoke and rely upon the Federal Gun Owners Protection Act for interstate transport of firearms. And there, 
the gun should be in a locked container in order to absolutely have the protection of that preemptive law. The Fed law wants to see it, the gun in a separate locked container. Uh, that is the preferred method to be covered by the federal law. New Jersey does not require lock. Now, let's just say you want to have your gun in a locked container and you're only within New Jersey. Is that a problem? No, it's not a problem. Absolutely. Lock it up. Put it in a locked container. It's not a negative, and it may be even extra helpful if you happen to be going across state lines. But technically, it is not required to be locked if you're just transporting in New Jersey under the exemptions under NGS 2C39-6, particularly exemption E and or F, where you're going to or from the target range or out hunting or place of business, then it's a subsection G section, and the subsection G section does not require locked, just closed and fastened. Okay, folks, well, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws uh, don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a CounterThink media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.